Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. We have a very unusual program today. Uh, you, you know, uh, in America, we've known for our craftsmen. We've known for uh, developing furniture uh, and uh, from from our native woods. Uh, we have uh, one of the more interesting guests of, uh, that we've had on the program for a long time. Jason Lutz joins us from his farm up in Vermont, where I wish I were myself at this moment, and talks about uh, his unusual career. Jason, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Well, uh, Jason, as we uh, ask everybody, that uh, all our guests, first tell us a little bit about yourself and, how, uh, and your journey to, uh, to where you are now. Yeah, uh, my name is Jason Lutz. Um, I'm a furniture uh, manufacturer, uh, designer, uh, entrepreneur. Um, I uh, have a mechanical engineering background from the Ohio State University, um, where I actually was uh, played in lacrosse team for four years. Um, and now I live up in uh, the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. Very beautiful up here. Um, and uh, I love what I do. I'm very passionate about the product that we make, um, and I'm very passionate about being a business owner and an entrepreneur. Well, you're passionate about it, but you have a college degree. As you told me earlier before we go in on the air, you didn't like sitting at a desk all day. So what happened? Yeah, so um, it's actually a very long story, Don, but I'm sure we got some time. So in 2007, um, before my fifth year of schooling, and I was uh, because I was playing lacrosse, mechanical engineering um, at Ohio State, a, a five-year program. Um, before my fifth year of college, I had an opportunity to uh, go down to Jamaica um, for a summer, and I went down there, and I was actually going down there to help build a house. Now, the interesting about Jamaica is it's got 90% unemployment rate. So I went down there um, with full intention of building the, the house all summer long. Well, there's, like I said, unemployment rate. All these people showed up for work. Um, so we, the, the money dried up very fast. So basically I was uh, kind of down there for a whole summer with not much to do. So I became very fascinated with the bamboo that grows everywhere down there. And so um, I was able to get some rudimentary tools together and I had this idea of starting a bamboo fair trade furniture company. And during that time, we had created a design, um, and the design is actually uh, modeled after a hammock chair. 
and we uh, were able to make a prototype. And as soon as we made the prototype, I knew that the, you know that we had this product. There was a product there, and that, that it had something. So I came back up to the states um, and did my fifth year schooling. I tried to create some buzz um, for the, the, the venture that we had started down there, but um, I was just very naive as to you know what it takes to get a business started. Uh, you know, especially in a third world country. Uh, there's a lot of uh, issues that you face that you generally don't face here in the States. I'll give you an example. If you need to find a bit, a drill bit, you know, obviously because we're doing furniture, it can take you two days to locate it, uh, you know, at a hardware store just because uh, products and supplies are not very uh, prevalent down there. So I finished my fifth year of schooling at Ohio State. Um, towards the end of the year, I was literally sitting in front of my desk all day and in front of the computer, and I kind of dawned on me that this was not the career path that I wanted to pursue for the rest of my life. So I uh, had a conversation with her mother. She had recently got a farm up here in Danville, Vermont, moved up to uh, Vermont, got a part-time job after school, and she had an interesting situation happen with a logger. And she hired a logger to come on and thin out a cedar stand. And if the thing with loggers, especially up here, is they're notorious for ripping people off. So when she turned her back, he actually came on and clear-cut um, the cedar stand. So she came in and kicked them off the property and said, you know, don't come back. And shortly thereafter, I went up and surveyed the, the damage that he had done. And when I was up there, a light bulb went off and because everything that he had left was perfect for making the chair design that we had made down in, in Jamaica. And I also realized, well, if this logger is doing it, every other logger in the state is doing this. And because it, what happens is that the loggers in the mills, they can't mill anything smaller than four inches in diameter. So it's just left in the woods to rot. And this is obviously perfect for furniture making. So I was able to... Um, Make some, uh, you know, make some new prototypes um, with the local cedar. Um, took them to a craft show, um, Waitsfield, that's right down the road, and I ended up selling out the first uh, craft show I did. And at that point, I, you know, really realized that there, there there's something to this. And then shortly after that, my mother um, pulled me aside and said, "Hey, do you want to know why you like to make furniture?" And I said, "Sure." pulls out the family album, turns out on her side of the family, three generations back, they had one of the largest furniture companies in the world called the Grand Rapids Chair Company out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So oh. it's in my blood. Yeah, it's in my blood, and I uh, love doing it. And uh, every chair I make, uh, I love the fact that, you know, the beginning of the day, you've got, you know, just some raw material, and at the end of the day, you've got a chair there that somebody's going to love. So. Well, the... Uh, do you craft each chair yourself, or do you have people working with you? Originally, obviously, that's where I started. Um, now we currently um, have six employees, uh, manufacturing employees, who uh, manufacture the product. Um, and then we also outsource a new line that we have created, a uh, painted line that we uh, manufacture. Okay. What's your product? I mean, is it a chair? What are your pro- What? Tell us some of your products and how you came to do them. Yeah. Um, so what makes our product so unique um, and so special is that not only the, 
generally you consider our furniture outdoor now. Uh, granted, thirty about thirty percent of the people who buy it do put it inside, but the outdoor furniture industry, um, though a couple things is the whole industry is going to plastic, right? And um, you can see it everywhere. You can see it at the hardware store um, with these uh, plastic chairs. They've also come out with these new polywoods. It's a it's a uh, cedar dust and uh, plastic composite. Um, so what we've decided to do is go completely the other direction and go all natural. Um, we feel the organic movement um, happening and the green movement happening that we just want to ride that cusp. Um, and so we've chosen uh, natural uh, materials that can be kept outside and stay in the test of time. Um, what, and then the other thing is that outdoor furniture is notoriously uncomfortable. It's flatted boards, it's bent metal. Um, you know, everybody's got these Adirondack chairs everywhere, um, but you're sitting on flatted boards, and you can only sit there for about 15 or 20 minutes before your butt hurts, so you need a pillow. Um, and then the other thing with pillows is that, you know, in a few years they get moldy, they fade, um, you got to buy new ones. So what we've developed is what we call the suspension seat, and it's very much similar to uh, a suspension bridge. When that, um, when you sit in our, our chair, the whole thing will mold to your body. And this way, um, you don't need a pillow, um, and literally you can sit on these chairs for hours. Um, we have in what we manufacture in-house is what we call the Vermont line. It's a very rustic, um, a very unique type of looking furniture, um, and that is what we get from the local uh, cedar. That is the byproduct from the logging industries. And then what we've recently come up in, which we uh, outsource, is what we call the Acadia line. Acadia line is a more refined look, um, but it still um, is using local cedar that's milled up at the, the lumber yard up the road. That line comes in uh, seven different colors as well as natural. And that line has been, you know, it's just really going to be what takes us to the next level. It's really been a big hit. People are looking for something that matches the colors of the house, matches the uh, the trim um, around their windows, and it really has been a big hit for us to take it to the next level. Well, uh, uh, is your furniture primarily outdoor furniture, or do you, can you also bring it indoors? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's it's marketed as outdoor furniture. What I love is people who uh, will take out there, and I've done it to several people, take out their lazy boys, and they'll put our furniture in, in their place. Um, and then another interesting phenomenon, especially the Vermont line, is the closer we go to urban environments, the better it sells. Um, and it's one of those things, is why can you sell uh, sticks to people in Central Park? It's because they don't have sticks. And so when you go down to, like, we'll go down to Boston a lot. Uh, we go down to Boston, uh, we'll sell more Vermont line product than we actually do in Vermont. Um, and it's because they'll put it in their apartment, uh, they'll put it in their condo, and it's a conversation piece. Um, and it, it has a really warming effect because you're, you're literally, it's, it's, a, it's raw wood, uh, it's got the bark still on it, you're literally bringing the outside in. Um, so it's a very beautiful piece. Well, how do you sell it? I mean, what channels do Yeah, started out doing direct shows, uh, probably like a lot of uh, budding young entrepreneurs do. We started out doing craft shows. Um, slowly but surely, we got into doing bigger events. Um, we did the Big E up in the Massachusetts area. Um, we did the Philadelphia Flower Show. So we slowly started getting into, you know, bigger venues. Um, and then two years ago, we went into the wholesale 
uh, market. Um, and now we're just getting into um, getting into some of these bigger stores. Uh, we're now picking up distributors. Um, and then the other thing is the outdoor furniture industry is really controlled by uh, what really is what are independent reps. Um, so now we're signing on um, some pretty decent independent reps um, on the East Coast, and, and we're looking for people to represent us on the West Coast as well. Well, okay. Uh, uh, a, a chair, how, typically, how much does one of your chairs sell for? Yeah, um, you know, the furniture industry, um, and it's because we're going to multiple different channels, um, they retail, you know, on average price um, is about three ninety five. Um, I've seen it as we, some places go as high as six hundred, um, depending on their market. Um, you know, we think that, especially with the Vermont line, uh, we think we're a little underpriced. Um, we think that we can go higher. Um, we're really just waiting for, you know, kind of to get more of the product out there and see, kind of get more feedback uh, from retailers and from distributors as well. You keep referring to we. Um, who, who's involved with your company in your decision-making? I... <laughs> Well, saying we is really it's kind of a habit of mine to refer to the whole company. Um, I, I am the sole manager. Um, I do have some um, part-time, I mean, I do have some investors, um, some minority investors, um, but I am still the majority investor. And it's funny, I, I've, uh, I've, um, I've played a lot of sports. <laughs> so when I say we, I'm very used to a team effort, right? And because it is a team effort, I've got a, you know, I've got a good team here that I'm, I'm putting together. Um, and, and so, you know, and you can't, especially when we're taking it from a cottage industry and taking it into that small business to the next level, you you know, you really need that team um, to support you and, and to help you to take it to the next level. So, Okay. Uh, uh, let's talk about, uh, so you have no full-time employees. Oh, no, we do. Yes, we've got, we have uh Six uh, full-time shop workers. Um, we've got an office manager. I have a CFO, um, and then we have um, three three salespeople as well. And then we have three independent reps. Um, so three in-house salespeople, and then we have three independent reps um, who rep in the furniture industry. They'll rep um, multiple different lines. So they'll right. rep our line as well. It's about six. You know, depends. Some some do three manufacturers, other manufacturers. Some do uh, as much as six. Oh, uh, you you seem to have have been on an upward trajectory. What are some of the problems you've run into? Oh, you <laughs> uh, every problem under the sun. Um, you know, supply issue. One of the things that um, we have uh, with the Vermont line, especially, is because the uh, material, like I said, is not. Um, desired, it's not something that I can go to the lumber yard and buy it. We actually go out and hand harvest uh, this product ourselves uh, or the material ourselves. So that has been an interesting um, battle, so to speak. We have um, we found that as we be very, we're respectful to landowners. Um, more and more landowners are letting us onto their property because essentially what we're doing is we're doing their uh, cedar stand a favor. We're thinning it out. We're allowing the more mature trees, more mature trees to grow up. And usually, you know, the, the, the value of this uh, material it's very hard to put a, a, 
you know, a monetary value on it. So a lot of times we'll make them uh, furniture out of the material um, from that comes from their woods, and, the, and you know, people just love that. Well, and uh, then go, no, you first. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. Um, so there's material, you know, staffing um, has been an issue. Northeast Kingdom in Vermont is one of the most underpopulated or underpopulated areas in Vermont, and that has been a real uh, problem. Um, just getting good people in here. Um, we have seen some turnover rate uh, because it is manufacturing. Um, you know, our our wages are competitive um, for the the area, um, but you know, the manufacturing environment is not for everybody. So, you know, staffing issues, uh, material issues. You know, obviously, with cash flow, we've had cash flow issues. Um, you know, and the other thing is breaking into the furniture market. The furniture market is definitely, you know, every every market has its own issues. Furniture market is definitely a good old boy market. Um, and we're finding that rather than attacking the furniture industry head on, we're going kind of more a little more indirect route where you are going after places that necessarily aren't furniture stores, but do carry furniture like a, a hardware uh, store, for example, or a uh, landscaping store um, or a, a garden center, for example. We've had a lot of success doing that. So you know, it, it, it's really been for us um, finding our you know finding our niche in the marketplace. Um, you know, but the, the, our growth you know our growth has really been uh, phenomenal. Um, we've grown since we started. Um, about six years ago, we've grown uh, 50% per year on average uh, since we started. So. Well, I have two questions. When you yep. say you clear the undergrowth, you you uh, use primarily the woods from trees under four inches in width. Did I hear you right? That's correct, yeah. Uh, and, uh, which is often harder to uh, saw and uh, put into planks than Larger trees. Am I also correct about that? Yeah, they don't. They don't even do it. They'll just, uh, like, say, a lumber, um, uh, a logger will come into a, a stand and they'll just come in and knock it over. You know, they'll go after the bigger trees in diameter that can uh, they can mill in the boards. So you are correct. Yes. Okay. Well, um, uh, you say you're growing fifty percent a year. Are you now mm-hmm. profitable and, and looking forward to greater growth? Yeah, we are now just turning into profitability. Um, this quarter actually was our um, first profitable quarter, um, and if we can continue this growth through this year um, into next year, and if we have a you know similar growth next year, we're going to be you know in a really really good position. So, so uh, here, before we let you go, where where is your website so people can uh, look at your product? Yeah, we are uh, VermontChairs.com. Um, Vermont is spelled out. If you Google um, Vermont Cedar Chair Company, uh, it'll obviously pop up as well. We've got a great promotional video right on the home page. It will show you, uh, kind of walk you through our product. It'll talk about you know different talking points. It'll also give you some uh, cool um, footage of us manufacturing the product as well. Uh, finally, uh, from all your experience, what what would be the two things you'd tell your fellow entrepreneurs after all after the, the six years? Um, I'd say determination. 
you got to be determined. You can't give up uh, when you look like, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about, you know, going to the edge of the cliff and I'll joke around. I'm like, no, you really got to go over the cliff. Um, you know, you got to kind of give it your all. Um, I'm not saying being foolish um, by any means. Um, you've got to make smart decisions. You've got to keep your head in it. But you've got to be able to give it everything you have. Um, the business environment this day is just cutthroat. The amount of things that you have to deal with through taxes, through the government, uh, being compliant, um, all that stuff, you've really got to go into it um, all the way. Um, so that, that that's really the advice I'd give. So. Are you happy with your choice of career? Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm a young guy. I'm 31 years old. Um, I still have got my whole life ahead of me. If for some reason you know this doesn't you know pan out, but to be honest with you, we're doing you know we're doing really well. Um, the amount of that I have learned in the last five six years is just it's unbelievable. It's invaluable. Um, I, I I could you know I, I've learned more here than doing this than I think I could have learned in any different, any school doing anything and I'm I, I love the the uh, business environment I love um, one of the things I tell people is playing sports um, at Ohio State uh, we played lacrosse it, it was a very a lot of highs and lows um, a lot of adrenaline rush um, you you know you're high one game you're down low the next and you don't really get that kind of, um, you know, excitement in the real world. A lot of people talk about when they get out of sports, you know, the love, it's just very low, you know, where do you, where do you get that same kind of excitement that you got? Um, and I find that in business. Um, you know, you, you, you one month you're on cloud nine, the next month you're down in a hole and you're trying to figure out how to get back out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Jason, we're going to invite you back next year so you, so you can tell us how you're doing, and we're certainly going to look at your furniture. Thanks for coming on board today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it very much. Come again next year. I will, definitely. Our next guest is Bruce Drack. Am I pronouncing the name correct? SVP of Global E-Commerce at First Data. Bruce, did I pronounce yes, it correctly? Thank you for having me, and yes, you have my name exactly correct. Good. I was getting a little worried. Uh, Bruce, you, uh, your company has put out a, an exciting new product that I, I for one, really like. So, uh, before, But we always ask our guests a little bit about themselves personally before we get into the product. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, great. Well, I'm a resident of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and have a wonderful opportunity in my company to help merchants, honestly, of all sizes be successful. We largely do that through helping them with um, new pieces of technology that just make their business life easier. Um, while here in Atlanta, we have you know, a lot of great involvement um, within the community itself, which is a great thing, and I enjoy kind of all things outdoors. Okay. Um, and now, Tell us, uh, well, First Data, you, you just became, became a public company again, if I, uh, if I recall correctly. But more importantly, you have a new product. So now the floor is yours. Tell us about your product. Sure. 
so I will just start by the focus for us as a company, like I said, is um, helping businesses be successful. So we spend a great deal of time with small merchants listening and watching and understanding how they run their business today. And what we hear from a lot of those small merchants is it's difficult to get the kind of services you get from a lot of different providers to work well together. And so we've really taken it on as a mission to give them kind of a business operating system whereby they can do the things they love, run and be passionate about their business, and then everything just works for them as in the kind of technical products that we give to them. So as part of that new suite, um, and we do all of those things go under a name called Clover. Um, and within this Clover suite, um, we enable kind of a marketplace of applications for folks. And the piece that we're talking to you about today is helping people be able to manage their digital presence, be able to get online. And quite honestly, while getting online, for that to be able to work all right alongside with any physical presence that they have today. Okay. Uh, that's the overall picture. Now, can you give us some more detail? I'm a small business. I, I go to you and say, okay, I'm here. Tell me, tell me how it works. Tell me what I have to do. And, more, and equally as important, tell, tell me how much it's going to cost. Certainly. So if you go to um, our small business-focused website at www.clover.com, you'll see the set of solutions that we have available for small merchants. And within the app marketplace that is there, you will find this Clover online store, which works um, with any of our physical Clover devices. So to get started as a small business, what you would need to do is to be able to get one of those um, Clover small business devices, be able to, to bring that um, into your local environment, be able to just go through the very simple setup process, and then as part of that, you now have um, the access into an application marketplace with more than 150 applications that sit in it today that really focus on making the life for a small merchant um, easier. Um, within that, one of those applications is called Clover Online Store. What that Clover Online Store will do is just like what you would do on probably a normal mobile device where you, you install an app, once you do that app install, what it would give you the very simple ability to do is to set up an online presence for your company. Um, no coding is required. It's just as simple as kind of dragging, dropping, typing uh, some content about yourself, like your um, description of what your company does. Um, we will automatically manage kind of your products and services between anything that you have in a physical store and here on the digital store, including your inventory. Same thing will happen relative to payments. It's just bundled in. It works uh, the same across both those places. And then as you start to see orders, you can manage um, both kind of what you're doing in the store as well as online. So it's a very simple, easy process to get yourself up and running as a small merchant. Again, no coding required. It's got uh, beautiful templates that are there and something that if you're accustomed to working at all with uh, simple business applications is very simple and easy to do. Oh, okay. Um, uh, you've obviously addressed a, a lot of issues in, uh, in, in developing all these products. What have you seen have been some of the problems small business people 
uh, leaders have uh, in these areas. You, you obviously given us a solution, but uh, uh, I'd, I'd like you to tell us some of the problems and how you've set, settled those solutions. Certainly. So the first piece, when we spent a fair amount of time talking to small um, business owners uh, before we developed the solution. And what we discovered is that a lot of people were talking about getting online and they always had it as kind of a plan what they would do or they had a plan to um, take their website that they had you know, kind of created when they first started the company and really update it. But they had struggled to, to really take that next step and to make that happen. And a lot of that was in the selection process, trying to find somebody to do it. Um, so for some, they had cousins, uncles, you know, friends. So they had a friend who had a kid um, who had done something. You know, this is kind of a variety of ways. And that was not a very reliable way to keep, maintain, or um, create your website. So um, and there was also a bit of a, a fear as to, you know, I'll need coding. It's really hard to do. Um, there's, you know, just pieces and parts of this um, that I, I'm just not sure how to make happen. So what we did was create a very simple way um, for small merchant owners to, to get over those pieces and honestly to be able to, to take kind of in their own hands um, just kind of a simple click your way through with a mouse uh, type method. Um, it guides you all the way and in everything that you need to do in order to get yourself up and running. And so that first big problem that we solved was honestly, you know, kind of fear of starting or the struggle to start, as well as just the total elapsed time that it took to actually make a change or to create your website for the first time. Uh, I'm, I would say, I'm sorry for breaking in and laughing, but you're so accurate about about that in small business. Uh, let a cousin do it, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, that cousin wasn't delivering um, or what they did deliver uh, wasn't, you know, it's kind of hard to say no when it's free, um, but it, it really didn't give um, small merchants the ability to reflect their personality. And that's really another thing that we saw is that um, the, the nature of our small um, business clients is that they really, you know, their personal brand is in everything they do, from the service they give to the nature of their products that they have. They want that uh, to be able to be represented online as well. And so they wanted something that wasn't somebody else's interpretation of them, but something that they could really say, this reflects me. This takes what I've been trying to do and gives that initial interaction point to my current and prospective clients. Uh, such that they can see and know that it's still me here. I'm ready to serve them. You're doing a great job. Uh, give me one more example, please, because uh, you're hitting so many uh, home runs, so continue. Okay, great. So the other thing um, that we looked and saw was that there was a challenge in being able to what we call run your business. So for a lot of people, when they are running their small business, um, when they want to interact with their client, if that person has walked into a store online, um, they really don't look at that as you know, two different experiences. They look at it as uh, me running my business and wanting to serve our client. So that is why we fuse together kind of the experience of online and offline in such a way 
that if you enter your product in to a system, you know, it's you can make it available whether somebody's in store or online. If you have inventory that you're tracking, that you can see how that's working um, in one central place. If you need to process a payment, um, the same thing, it goes through the same account that you have. And then ultimately, if you're shipping and managing orders and clients, that again, that all looks and works um, in the same way. And so those kind of key workflows, again, we fuse together in a way that you know, a small merchant could continue to run and operate their business and really be at the point um, of interaction where their clients wanted to, to be with them. So in, in effect what you're saying, uh, and, and I think you said it uh, very well, is uh, let the business owner talk, uh, run the business. Uh, we'll take care of the back end and the various parts of it. Am I correct in that? You're exactly correct, and honestly, it goes beyond just this Clover online store. What what you'll see in that app marketplace we've created are products and services that we as First Data have created, but also there's a whole host of developers who have looked at small merchants and said, I have an idea. I think I can help out in some way. And just like the Clover online store does that for helping you get online, they help with like employee timesheet tracking or other things. And again, all of that works together within this same technology environment so that as that small business, and like what you said, I can run my business and I don't have to worry about these things working. They're just there. I just you know upload these apps from the App Store and I get to use them uh, when I need them. Uh, really great. Uh, again, give us the uh, the website and how people can reach are you or the uh, company? Certainly. So our company is First Data. Um, that's at www.firstdata.com. For those of you who are small merchants and who want to focus right in on the products and solutions I've been talking about, we have a site dedicated to that. That is www.clover.com. And it will walk through for you the various products and solutions we have, as well as you can preview that app marketplace through that site and just see all the different pieces that are already integrated into this solution that we have for small merchants, um, and which really gives our small merchant clients the ability to quickly have technology solutions for problems that they face in the everyday running of their business. And oh, by the way, they're simple and easy to use. Uh, thanks, uh, thank you, Bruce, for coming today uh, and uh, talking about it. Uh, 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 I know I learned a lot. I hope our audience did as well. Well, great. Well, thank you for your time, and thank you so much for your focus on on small businesses. Have a good day. Thank you. We've heard a lot these days about lead generation and lead conversion. And how, uh, how do you uh, get your leads not to abandon you at the cash register? Well, we have someone today who's going to talk to us about it. Chris Lucas is Vice President of Marketing for Formstat, and he's he's going to talk about what they've learned and how we, can, we being small business people, can take advantage of what they've learned. But as usual, we asked Chris to tell us a little bit about himself personally as we welcome him to the program. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the VP of, form, uh, VP of Marketing at FormStack. Um, so FormStack is a online form provider. We allow small businesses, medium-sized businesses to uh, collect data. So whether it's a lead or registration or survey data, we allow them to collect that information via online form. Um, and we integrate with kind of third-party systems. And so uh, I've been at FormStack for nine uh, years. We've been around for 10 years as a company, so um, have been fortunate to grow up with the company. Um, really started doing uh, the first bit of online marketing for them when we were just kind of uh, rolling out as a product uh, and have now developed a team of over, uh, I think we've got uh, 14, 15 people on a marketing team now. Um, and we do everything kind of customer acquisition from uh, paid traffic, SEO, organic traffic, all of those kind of uh, lead drivers, and then we turn them into uh, customers. So I uh, have a lot of experience in, in um, developing marketing, online marketing programs, and then, uh, developing teams around kind of these online marketing programs. Well, how did, how did you get get to uh, FarmStack? What, what's some of your background? Yeah, so uh, I really, it's funny, I had a, a PR background. So I was actually working in, in technology PR and was working with um, enterprise B2B customers and trying to get the story about, you know, kind of interesting new technologies in the business-to-business space and uh, had a background in PR and um, happened to meet the founder of FormStack. Um, and we just kind of, our paths crossed and we started talking about kind of what he was looking for and my next challenge and uh, kind of one thing led to another. I ended up uh, taking on the job and at the time it was just kind of wearing a lot of different hats. I knew a bit of online marketing, knew uh, a lot about PR, I knew about uh, how do you gain interest from um, kind of an organic standpoint. And so that's kind of where we really started and taught myself a lot of the online marketing um, kind of process, PPC, advertising, banner advertising, SEO, kind of taught myself along the way and uh, was fortunate to very very quickly hire people who were way smarter than I was uh, to get the job done. You know, that seems to be a key, uh, <laughs> finding people who are smarter than you uh, to success. That's the best um, way to go. <laughs> now, Chris, t- tell us a little bit about what you, you found uh, about this whole area that could help our re- uh, um, our listeners. I want to say readers because we also have a online newsletter. But uh, t- tell us some of the things that you, you your team has learned over the years that can can help us. Yeah. So um, you know, more specifically, we kind of we we've done uh, very recently a kind of a conversion report, um, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the the lead capture report kind of talked about. Um, identifying top problems that marketers face when generating leads and how do we improve kind of lead quality and quantity, right? And I think one of the biggest things that we're kind of finding out is uh, really as online marketers and as we're trying to drive better qualified leads to um, our website and to, um, you know, whether it's a online commerce business or just kind of um, product businesses, I think one of the things that we're, uh, that we uncovered in this lead capture report is that um, really having goals that are aligned with um, the the important metrics of the company are often where the initial breakdown is. is cause you ha- you have to have an, a good understanding of what is it that you're trying to accomplish in an online marketing standpoint, and that's going to dr- determine kind of the big drivers of uh, of your KPIs. And so 
if it's lead quality, how do you de- how do you define kind of uh, processes in your business that uh, get better leads and maybe you have to have less leads? Or if it's lead quantity, if you're judged as a marketer on lead quantity, then how do you drive uh, more leads into the system? Um, and maybe you can sacrifice a little bit of quality, but it's really having a good alignment uh, at the very start of what are the important metrics um, uh, for your for your online marketing efforts, and then how do you align campaigns around those things? Well, well give, give us some detail. You've you says said the process, but what are some of the things you look for, and uh, in these various uh, areas? Yeah, well, so I think one of the things is if you're talking about kind of lead uh, quantity, uh, then it's it's understanding how do we find the traffic, the the channels that are. Uh, good for driving um, traffic, right? And so a lot of folks um, in our lead capture um, survey that we did, um, you know, they found that uh, a high volume of leads were coming through just their on-page conversions on their website. 24% of their um, their best generating leads were uh, from a high volume leads was just clicking, somebody clicking on their page. Um, email marketing was the kind of second uh, biggest with 18%. Uh, driving the volume, and then pay-per-click advertising was 17%. So it's understanding kind of what what are ways that we can drive traffic if we're looking at, again, if it's volume, then, you know, email marketing and pay-per-click from a um, paid standpoint probably, because you can buy as much traffic as you want, right, when you're talking about PPC. Um, so it's finding and understanding those channels that work best for you um, when you're trying to drive a high volume of leads. And then when it's it's driving a, a quality metric, um, it's understanding what are the what are the things on page that are going to make people either uh, kind of qualify them or disqualify themselves. And so um, it's really understanding what what are the things that we can do via an online form or or page copy that uh, really speaks to that customer that we really want to target, and then uh, disassociate those people that we don't want to target. Right. <clears throat> I see that. Well, uh, going on. Uh, knowing that, what are some of the tricks to, to getting people to the site, to getting them to give you your, the leads? What have you learned? Oh, your team learned? Yeah, so I think um, you know, from from our perspective, it's it's all about uh, really understanding what is the what's the messaging that you want to lead with. So um, we do a lot of uh, customer interviews and looking at the way that people use our software, um, and then trying to match that messaging up with. Uh, our landing page copy, right? And so if it's somebody who, let's say, use higher education, we have a lot of higher education uh, customers, um, they really want to understand, do do we cut uh, down time on kind of building forms and uh, do we integrate with the systems that they integrate with? And so on our landing pages, we talk about those types of things. Um, if it's a small business for us that is really – you know, they most small businesses don't have a website um, or have a web team or a, a, a team of people that can uh, build their websites and build their online forms. And so they want to know how powerful is this? How is how easy uh, is it to use? And can I get in as a small business owner? Can I get in and build a form myself? And so that's the kind of copy that we talk to when we're talking to small businesses on that on that landing page, for instance. Um, and so we try to match that copy along with that landing page copy and speak very specifically to that easy to use or that powerful um, uh, kind of keyword or key messaging. So that's that's what we found is, is if you can identify kind of use cases for your product or what kind of buyer are you trying to um, hmm. 
that's fascinating. Please continue. Give us some more of this type of information. That's what that's what we're all interested in. Yes. Yeah, well, so so really, I mean, buyer uh, understanding the buyer is just really understanding who is your who is your key customer, right? And so that I think a lot of time marketers forget to kind of focus in on that because they focus in on what's important to them um, when really you should be focusing what are the um, what are the ways that your buyer um, are is really going to use your product for? Um, you know, it's it's kind of what what's their job to be done, and it, can you can your product or service get that job done for them? And if you can speak to that, I think that uh, often helps people kind of connect those two um, those two dots of I've got a product to sell, and I've got people that I know want to buy it, but I can't get them to do it. If you can find that what their what their job to be done is, and if you can speak to that job. Um, and then from a marketing perspective, I think you can create really compelling uh, messaging and copy and ads and things like that that speak to that. Hmm. It's, just, just so fast. it's just so fascinating what you're talking about. Well, what is the downside? Uh, uh, you know, I often get across, like I just got an email across now that just said, well, uh, that's all well and good. But what are the downsides to some of these things that we're doing? Well, I think from um, when we're talking about driving lots of leads, I think some of the downside is probably um, a bit of the spray and pray method. Um, you know, obviously when we're trying to build audience, um, when we're trying to attract eyeballs, we just kind of assume that we can throw a bunch of stuff out there and uh, with a more um, – under, with a more knowledgeable buyer nowadays, um, I think I read research uh, a while back that said um, 60% of the buying process is done before somebody even hits your website. Um, so what you have is you have a more credible, more knowledgeable buyer. Um, and so there, you know, the days of a salesperson calling you up and saying, "Hey, I've got this widget. I'd love for you to check it out." And the buyer saying, "Oh, that's awesome. Tell me more about it." Is is really gone because what's happened now is that that power is transformed um, into the customer's hands. And so oftentimes when we're trying to drive quality or quantity of leads and eyeballs and things like that, we often do the spray and pray method, um, thinking that we can drive a lot of people to our website. But what we end up driving is, is the wrong kind of people to our website. Somebody who's interested in your product or your service um, has probably already done a ton of research and they understand the ins and outs of who you are, your competitor, and things like that. And so what you really have to do, and that's where I talk about uh, understanding the the job to be done. If you can tie those things together, when you have a more informed buyer, you can create that sale in a, in a much easier way, in a much faster way. So the downside is, is really just uh, attracting the wrong people to your website and, and spending the um, spending your valuable time on the wrong customer. When if you narrow in on that targeting and get better kind of lead quality, you can uh, really hone in on who it is that you should be selling to. Well, um, is it better to uh, cast a wider net or a more focused net in terms um, of lead generation. Yeah, I I think um I think it, it it again goes back to kind of aligning goals, right? If you're if you're looking for kind of top of funnel leads and um if you're looking for you want to just drive a bunch of people and you want to drive awareness, I think something like a contest is really good because you can drive a lot of eyeballs. Um but if you have a good kind of process behind that. So you run a contest and you run uh a contest to your website and you give away an iPad or something or a, uh, an Apple Watch, right? 
you're going to get a ton of eyeballs. Um, but it's what do you do with those leads? How do you qualify those at the next step? And so you can either do that in an online way. You can do that with a form, and you can ask some very qualified questions once you've got somebody in, um, or you can do it with a sales rep. It's kind of, you know, it kind of depends on what you have uh, at your disposal. Um, but I think that there's some, some great ways to drive real top-of-the-lead funnels um, and how you get more volume, right? Um, and then there's some programmatic ways in the back end to drive more quality. And so I think it's a it's it, it's aligning those goals, like I mentioned them very early on. What are your what are your key metrics? Where do you want to uh, how do you want those things to align? Um, top of the funnel, eyeballs, right? The more eyeballs we can get, the bottom of the funnel, and the middle of the funnel. What is that buyer persona? How are we solving that problem? How do we get just those very qualified people at the door? Well, um, the the other the other question I have is on uh, a follow up. To me, you know, uh, I always mention if you go to an average trade show and you hand out your card a hundred times, you'd be surprised if, if seven people will actually follow up. Do you do you try to kind of align the follow up with the lead generation? Oh yeah, definitely. I think. Um, you know, I think when we're talking about kind of lead follow-up, um, you know, it, it definitely aligns with um, that lead generation effort. A lot of we do a lot of content marketing. So in the in the lead capture report that I mentioned that we kind of uh, re- released earlier this year, uh, you know, content marketing is still um, still kind of underused. I think in our report, it was only 6.3 percent of the folks were using. Um, content marketing to drive uh, uh, new leads. And so I think what you can do is align. So somebody's coming in on a piece of content that you created um, and they're reading that piece of content. I think you should generate some sort of follow-up activity, right? Hey, I saw that you downloaded our ebook or have a sales rep call them. Hey, you know, Mark, I saw that you, uh, I saw that you read our ebook and did you know this, this, and this? And you can kind of follow up based on the content of that, um, of that ebook. Now, if it's somebody clicking on your website, um, then you can have, or somebody leaves uh, uh, a contact me information or contact more information uh, off your website, I think you can follow up with that person very specifically in a different way than somebody following up on content, right? So if somebody submits something, like at a trade show, on your website that says, I want more information, you should be following up almost instantaneously because they're asking you to reach out to them, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it depends on where they are in that process. If they're downloading some content and just kind of reading it, there's kind of a softer approach. If somebody says, I want more information, there should be a very direct approach and says, hey, what's that information? How do I follow up with you? How can I help solve your problem? Um, is this report available for us to read and for our audience to read? It is. Um, and I can – it's uh, formstack.com, and then it's a lead capture 2016 report, and I can um, – uh, share. We have a very specific link. Formstack.com/report/lead-capture2016. Um, but I can definitely share that with you, and you can post that on your site um, or uh, kind of however you communicate with with your uh, listeners. Okay, spell spell out your your what website again, since this is very much an audio program. Yes, it's www.formstack.com. It's F. O-R-M-S-T-A-C-K dot com. No, very, very important. Uh, we often get emails back from when, when uh, this is not um, uh, 
brought out. But um, let me ask you another uh, question while we're on it. Um, of all of the of all of the ways that you've seen to generate leads, which way do you recommend uh, seems to work the most effectively? Yeah, um, you know, from from and again, I'll reference our our lead capture report. Um, the one that we saw the most was just kind of on site. Um, I think what we've seen as a business ourselves is uh, organic traffic. Obviously, um, organic traffic is the hardest um, to generate leads from, um, but uh, it's it's taken us ten years as a company to build our brand and to build um, credible kind of public relations uh, articles and links and uh, content that we've created to drive uh, people back to our website. But I think that's often the best. Um, I think a lot of people want to use content marketing. They want to be uh, creators of content. And like I said, in our in our report, only 6.3% found that as a, uh, as a valuable way to drive leads. Um, <clears throat> But I think content marketing, a lot of people are doing it, but a lot of people are doing it wrong. They're, they look at it from a, how do I put some stuff out there and how do I um, uh, how do I put a bunch of content out there versus they, making some very actionable content, people that, uh, making content that people actually want to use. Um, and I think that's the difference between people who do really good content marketing and drive really good leads off of content versus people who just say they do content marketing. Um, so I would say, you know, finding uh, finding organic traffic, uh, finding really good content marketing, um, and then uh, I think a lot of people still underestimate the power of email marketing. Um, it was, uh, you know, from our respondents, respondents, 17% of the uh, of our customers were or the people that we surveyed were were using email marketing, and that was um, it's still a huge driver for them. Um, I think a lot of people look at kind of these newer mediums social, whatever. Um, but email marketing is still a very powerful tool if you do it in the right way. So uh, those are probably three three things that I would focus on. Um, as we close up our, our visit, Chris, what if you had one thing you had to uh, tell our audience about uh, lead, lead generation and, and changing, what would it be? Yeah, I think um again I go back to kind of the simplicity of what are what are the goals that you have for lead generation? Is it is it a volume? Um is it quantity? Uh how do you or is it quantity, is it quality? Uh how do you define those things as a marketer, as a business owner? Um and then figuring out what are the ways that I can drive uh different kind of quality of leads or quantity of leads. I think paid um Paid avenues are really good. You can buy traffic for cheap nowadays, but it's what's the quality of that traffic going to be? If you uh, if you really want quantity, you have to invest time in organic uh, marketing and content marketing and social media and email marketing, and those things just take time. So I think it's understanding what are the what are the main drivers of my business, um, what are the ways that I want to drive new leads, um, and then understanding what are the ways that I can drive leads and what do I have time for. Um, so I think those are kind of the the often over everybody wants new leads, right? Um, but you kind of have to understand what is the strategy behind each uh, each way of generating leads, and then figuring out what do you what do you have the capacity for. Well, that's really terrific, Chris Lucas. Thank you for being with us today. I know I learned a lot, and I hope our audience did as well. Thank you again, and come back right, again thanks. next year. 
and, and tell us a little bit more after you had another year of experience. Though with uh, 11 years already, it's, it's still a lot. <laughs> Thank you, Donald. I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on. No, I, we appreciate you. You came. Thank you again, and have a good day. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture.